0: Well, hello, everyone. How are ya? How you? Doing? Welcome to uh, our first ever Saturday evening uh, worship service. So I'm thankful that you guys are here. And uh, thank you for uh, all the folks that came out uh, hours ago to help clean and prep and get stuff ready. And for the band that came in after work today. So I'm just thankful for all of you guys coming to serve. And uh, for those that are tuning in uh, tomorrow and watching this, uh, thanks for doing that. Encourage that you would take the time. And uh, our heart in doing this tonight uh, was honestly, God is worthy to be worshiped, and we want to worship him, and any time that we can gather like this to worship him, we can be encouraged. And so uh, we're going to continue on in our series in Hebrews, Uh, and before I do that, let me just pray. Uh, Father, thanks so much for tonight. Thanks for all of the men and the women that uh, came early uh, to help even be able to make this Possible tonight. And uh, God, thanks for those that are here. I give thanks that you know them each by name. God, I give thanks for those that are going to be watching uh, this gathering uh, tomorrow morning or tomorrow afternoon. Uh, God, I I give thanks that you know every single person. And I pray, God, in a way that only you could possibly do, Uh, God, I pray that you would speak and encourage and challenge and inspire every single soul. Uh, God, I pray that every person that's here tonight that will tune in and watch this tomorrow. Uh, God, I pray that they will feel as if you are speaking to them directly. So, uh, God, through song you can do that, through scripture you can do that, and I just pray that in these moments that we have together, uh, Father, that you would really open our hearts uh, to understand, uh, our minds to understand who you are and what you're saying. God, give us ears tonight in a really unique way to hear anything, everything uh, that you would have to say to us, and we can just say thanks in advance uh, for speaking, and uh, we love you, and we pray that, Jesus, in your name, amen. Uh, if you have a Bible, open up to Hebrews chapter 4, that's where we're going to be, and uh, I wanted to start by asking a question, uh, and the question that I have is, is this, are your expectations of Christianity consistent with your experience right now? Are your expectations of Christianity consistent with what you're currently experiencing, now, I realize that maybe not everyone is going to be listening to this as a Christian, but whether Christian or not, you have expectations of what Christianity is like or what Christianity should be like. And so for those of you that are Christians, are your expectations of Christianity consistent with what your current experiences actually are? Now, I ask this question because it's a pretty important question because when I talk to people, I'm not saying all people, but I often, when I'm talking, meeting, connecting with people, they'll often describe the experiences of their life using words like, I'm just tired. I feel beat up. I feel burdened. I feel down. Uh, I feel discouraged. I feel heavy. I feel wrecked. I feel exhausted. And so I I hear that, and I've certainly been there and felt like that, but then there's a disconnect for me because I'm like, gosh, but the Bible says that when we're walking with God and following God, that there's going to be... We use words like peace and joy and contentment and rest. So why is there often a disconnect between what the Bible talks about Christianity for followers of Christ would look like and what our actual experiences are? How about this for an example? Matthew 11 uh, says this, and Jesus is looking at an entire crowd of people. He says, uh, Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. So he's looking at a crowd and he can see these people are tired and heavy and burdened. But he says, If you come to me, I'm going to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden that I give is light. So have you ever read that verse, seen that verse, and you're like, Gosh, when do I get to experience that? Like, I am a Christian. I've come to Christ. I've made that decision, but yet I still feel heavy. I still feel like burdened. I still feel tired. When, is, like, when does it kick in that we get to experience just the aspect of rest? One of the questions that I often ask people, and it usually kind of takes them back, is I ask them the question How's your soul? And usually they're kind of stumped at that question because we're used to asking the question, well, how have you been? And that question usually just leads to a list of what we've been doing. Uh, And that's two totally different questions. And the question of how is your soul is often tricky for people, well, I don't know. I don't even know how to describe how my soul is. I can tell you what I've been doing and what I've been doing is leaving me feeling somewhat tired, exhausted, burdened, heavy. Uh, In a great book, Dallas Willard Uh, wrote Renovation of the Heart. He said this, our soul is like a stream of water which gives strength, direction, and harmony. I want you to catch this. Our soul is like a stream of water which gives strength, direction, and harmony to every other area of our life. And when the stream is as it should be, meaning our soul, when the stream is as it should be, we are constantly refreshed and exuberant in all we do because our soul itself is then profusely rooted in the vastness of God. I love that book, and I love that quote, because it says when the stream, the soul, is as it should be, life is going to be refreshing and exuberant. So what would it even look like for you, for me, for all of us, to have a soul, meaning a life, that actually felt at rest. And I don't mean like your life is, has no problems, has no trials, has no storms, but what would it look like for you to say, gosh, my soul, yeah, there's hard things going on, but my soul, who I am, I feel at rest. So as we're looking at Hebrews chapter four, the author in this chapter is most concerned that the people of God do not miss out on what God has graciously p- promised to give them, which is his rest. He really doesn't want this community, new Christians new followers of Christ, to miss out on one of God's greatest gifts to us, which is his rest. And so he says this in Hebrews 1, or Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. And so we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. One more time, God's promise of entering his rest still stands. Meaning it's still now, it's for us, it's for today, it still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. So in the time that we have, uh, the question that I really want to uh, think through, work through, uh, and walk through tonight in Hebrews chapter 4, what is the rest that Hebrews 4 is actually talking about? If God actually has rest that he wants to give you, what is that rest that God actually has to give us? And how might we actually cultivate rest in our lives that would reflect the rest that God promises to give us? So really two questions. What is this rest from God that he has for us? And what would it look like for you to actually cultivate a life of rest? I'm not talking about like vacations and and certain days off of the week and things like that. But what does it look like for for all of us to cultivate a life, a soul that is at rest? Now, for me, when I've been preparing and really thinking through and praying through this message, I was struggling because I don't feel like my life always exuberates a life that's at rest. Uh, I feel like there's so many times where my life, I just feel tired or discouraged or beat up or exhausted or heavy. And when someone actually asked me, how's your soul? I'm like, oh, please don't ask me that question. Because I feel like there's often too much of a disconnect between what God has for me and what I'm actually experiencing. So I'm excited to walk through and share with you some of the things that I've been learning recently uh, about the rest that God has for us and how to actually cultivate that in our life. Um, Before I walk in and and walk through Hebrews chapter 4, I wanted to share with you, uh, I guess, more personal observations of a truth uh, that is really important for us to know as we head into chapter 4. Uh, and some things in our life, uh, and I'm making it personal to me, of these are things that have been in my life that have totally taken the rest that God has for me. So a truth, and then some three observations about what steals rest from us. The, the truth that I would give you is this. God cares about the condition of your soul. And I know that maybe some of you have heard that before, uh, but I, I wanted you to hear it fresh right now, God cares about the condition of your soul. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked, exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. The first half of 13, nothing in all of creation is hidden from God. And so I share this with you because I want you to know that nothing in your life is hidden from God. There is nothing that you could possibly hide from God. He knows you completely. You might not even know yourself, but he knows you in ways that you might not know and certainly other people might not know. And he cares about the condition of where you are. Now, for some, you read Hebrews 4.13 and you're like, gosh, that's really scary. It's really scary to think that God knows everything about me, that there's nothing hidden from me. And for some, that would actually cause a level of panic. But for some, it would actually be like, I'm thankful that he knows everything about me. Nothing in my life is hidden because the God who knows me that well, he cares about the condition of your soul. And so when you're feeling tired, exhausted, burdened, beat up, that's not what God has for you. And so he cares When you're there because he has something different for you, something called rest. Uh, Again, quoting Dallas Willard, he said, you're a soul made by God, made for God, and made to need God, which means we're not made to be self-sufficient. The way that God created you, fashioned you, formed you, designed you was a way that you would need him. And when we're walking with God and experiencing all of God, we experience actually the rest that he has for us. Now, When we uh, do not tend to our soul or become, as Dallas Ruler would say, very uh, self-sufficient, we quickly grow tired and weary. When I'm self-sufficient, depending on just me for anything and everything, that's when I get tired. That's when I get burdened. That's when I get heavy. But yet, when I'm walking with God in the ways that he's invited me to walk with him, I'm experiencing actually what he has for me, which would be uh, rest, rest. God never promised anywhere in scripture that the road to heaven would be easy. I can't find one promise in scripture that the road to heaven would be marked with just, it would be easy. I find plenty of scripture that the road to heaven is gonna be hard. There will be storms, there will be trials, there will be suffering, there will be persecution. But in the midst of all of those storms, trials, persecutions, and sufferings, God says, but I still have rest for you. There is a way that you can walk this life the road to heaven, and still experience the rest that I have for you. And so here's a question. If God cares about your soul, what is your soul? Someone even ask you, how would you even define or describe what your soul is? Uh, here's a great definition by John Ortberg in his book, Soul Keeping. Your soul is what integrates your will, meaning your intentions, your mind, or your thoughts and feelings, your values and conscience, and your body your face, your body language, and your actions into a single life. Your soul is what integrates your will and your mind uh, and your body into a single life. So your soul is you. It is every aspect that makes up your life. It's who you are. Uh, The Old Testament, New Testament, the soul often is a synonym to describe the actual person. Who that person is. It's described that is their soul, that is who they are. So here's the question that we can think about through, think about right now: is how is your soul? How is your soul? If someone's asking you, and I'm asking you, how would you actually describe, well, this is how my soul is? And remember, the definition of soul is the totality of your life. Every aspect of your life. How is your soul right now? I think many of us would have a hard time answering that question because I don't know about you, but do you ever feel like you're just always in a hurry? You're always in a hurry, rushing from where you are to where you need to be. And we always seem to be doing things like just checking our phone along the way from where we are to where we're going so we don't miss anything like a, a tweet, a status update, a whatever it might be. And then when, because we're always in such a hurry, Well, we never get to fully enter into all that God has for us in that moment, and then we arrive at the next moment feeling at best exhausted. So some of us, we just have a hard time even answering the question how my soul is because I'm always in just a hurry. Uh, Again, Dallas Willard in Renovation of the Soul, he said, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life. He's talking about the soul. In our day, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Now again, This is the truth that I really wanted us to catch as we walk through Hebrews chapter four tonight is that God cares about the condition of your soul. Uh, And you might not be able to put words to where your soul is, but God knows your soul. He cares about your soul. And as you just read the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, God says, I want you to have a soul that's at rest. Meaning I want you to be able to consider your life and even all the, the trials and traumas in your life And still be able to say, I have a life that is at rest. How about Psalm 23, a very famous psalm? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And what happens? He's the one who restores my soul. Again, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Why? He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. So God cares about your soul. Whether that's the first time you've heard that or the hundredth time you've heard that, hear it afresh. God cares about the condition of your soul. Uh, And I wanted to share with you very briefly just three things that I've seen in my own life uh, that really ruin the condition of my soul being at complete rest. These are things that uh, I would say cause unrest in my life. Now, they might not be your things, but I would ask as I walk through these things with you, what are some things in your life that actually cause unrest? What are some things that are happening right now that actually would cause unrest in your soul, in your life? First one for me would just be sin, namely unconfessed sin. When I have things going on in my life that I'm not talking to God about, when I'm not talking to other people about, when I'm keeping things that I know Are not what God wants for me when I'm just being either blatantly rebellious or whatever it might be, but I have sin in my life that I'm just keeping just to me and me alone. I'm not talking to God about it. I'm not talking to anyone else about it. Those are things that exhaust my soul. Uh, Psalm 32, if you're familiar with King David, uh, he was a guy who walked with God. God was providing for him, protecting for him, but He blatantly decided to do the very thing that God didn't want him to do, and this is how he described what life was like before he finally confessed his sin to God. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. It's this picture of this guy who's just tired. He feels heavy. He feels just so burdened. The hand of God is heavy on him because he's just got sin in his life. And when we've got sin in our life that is just not right, has not been confessed and has not been forgiven, uh, we feel unrest. So sin in our life, namely unconfessed sin, will always sap life out of your soul. And this is the sad reality about sin, and I'm sure you've experienced this. Sin has an incredibly numbing effect on us, meaning it can harden us to the point Where we don't even realize that our soul is dying you get more used to actually being in the condition of well i just feel heavy all the time and that's just my lot in life and and we don't realize that gosh maybe there's a reason we feel like this all the time where i don't have a soul that's at rest is because i've just got things that i have not talked to or confessed to god before and again this is the same psalm verse one and two King David says this, but blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin, the Lord does not count against, uh, against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. David's saying that's a blessed life. If you've walking with God and experiencing the grace and forgiveness of God, man, blessed are you. There is rest for your soul. The second thing that steals rest from my soul would be legalism, would just be legalism. Now, I think when we often think of legalism, we think of, well, you don't go to certain movies, you don't drink certain things, and you don't dance, you don't listen to certain music, but my question is, well, what really is legalism? Is it literally not just going to see certain things or hearing certain things? And I loved how C.J. Mahaney uh, in his book, The Cross-Centered Life, said it, legalism is seeking to achieve forgiveness from God and acceptance from God through obedience to God. Let me say that again, legalism is seeking to achieve forgiveness from God and acceptance from God through obedience to God. A legalist is anyone who behaves as if they can earn God's approval and forgiveness through personal performance. I wrote it down in my journal like this, living trying to earn the favor of God through performance equals exhaustion. Living trying to earn the favor of God through performance, it just equals an exhausted soul. So how would I know, how would you know if you're actually a legalist in the right way of understanding legalism? Uh, and here's a question for you uh, would be this. When you picture God's attitude towards you, do you think of him as disappointed with you or do you think of him as rejoicing over you? When you consider how God is viewing you, your soul, your life, it's a picture that you have of God is. He's just disappointed in you. He's the God who just kind of, he's shaking his head at you. And be like, gosh, when are you, you going to get it? Like, when are you finally going to learn? Or do you picture God's position, his posture, his attitude towards you as one of a father who's just smiling upon you as his child? See, how we answer that question is largely going to help us understand, well, gosh, maybe there's a lot more legalistic ideas and attitudes that I have that I didn't even realize. And this is the beauty of the gospel. Tolian Chavinjian, in his book, One Way Love, said the hub of Christianity is not doing something for Jesus. The hub of Christianity is Jesus has done everything for you. The good news of God's inexhaustible grace for an exhausted world has never been more urgent. And I just love that picture. The hub of Christianity, it's not do something for Jesus, it's he's already done everything for you. So if you've placed your faith in Jesus and him alone, the posture, the attitude, the look on God's face towards you is he rejoices over you. He smiles over you. And anything other than that, well, there's probably some legalistic ideas that we have of, well, he's not smiling right now because my life is not as it should be. Well, if that's your attitude, I I promise you there will not be rest in your soul, rest in your life. But the beauty of the gospel is the gospel equals a soul that is at rest all of the time. Uh, a third thing for me that has stealing, stolen rest from me, caused unrest in my soul, would just I wrote it down like this, flesh. Uh, flesh. And what I meant by that is self-driven, self-empowered, self-reliant, self-centered working. And the question I ask myself a lot is how much of what I'm doing is done in the flesh? And how much of it is just me just kind of gutting through it? And how much of what I do in my marriage, in my parenting, in my work, in my friendships, in my conversations, like how much of what I'm actually doing is actually being done through the Spirit of God who's at work in me? Because there's a major difference if I'm just doing everything that I do in life. And so that's a great question for you. How much of what you do is actually done in the strength that God has for you? When you think about your marriage, how many of you are just trying to gut through your marriage? If you're a parent, how many of you are just parenting in the flesh and just trying to handle and deal with and kids and all of the things that happen there? For your work, how many of you are just going through the workday just trying to get through the workday and go through it just completely in the flesh? And this is the problem. If we do everything in the flesh, self-reliant, self-driven, self-empowered, self-centered, We'll be exhausted. We'll be exhausted all the time. But the promise from God to us in scripture is, gosh, if you would just rely on the power that I have for you, you won't be exhausted. You'll actually have rest. Even working hard, you'll still be at rest. The apostle Paul says it like this. That's why I work and I struggle so hard, comma, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. And I just love that picture. Paul said, yeah, I'm working hard, but I'm not the one who is actually working. It's the spirit of God who is in me, who is empowering me to do everything that he has called me to do. How about this question? Do you ever feel like you're just living in order to get to the weekend so that you can just completely crash, so that you can just completely check out? You ever have those days where you're like, man, when is Saturday coming? dang, it's only Wednesday. I can't believe I have two more days. And you just have this mentality, this life of, I'm literally just living for the weekend so I can just crash and check out and escape. So the follow-up question would be, do you think that's the rest that God actually wants you to enjoy? Do you think that's the rest that God wants you to have is just like spend, 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 and get to Saturday and Sunday and just sleep? Or just check out, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, and just check out? Or do you think God has actually a different rest for you? And again, the way I wrote it down in my journal is if we work like that uh, in the flesh, then the rest that we will have when we crash and we check out and escape will be a very fleshy rest. When we get to Monday, we're like, dang, it's Monday again. How'd that happen? But the rest that God has for us is not through a fleshy way, it's a rest that God has that actually fills us and empowers us. So again, that's a long introduction to Hebrews 4, but I shared those three things with you because as I've been examining why I battle being at unrest a lot, those were three things that came to me of just sin, namely unconfessed sin, legalistic tendencies that I can still have, and just flesh, of doing things in the flesh rather than being empowered by the Spirit of God at me. And that to me was helpful to remember that I can actually cause unrest in my life through those things, but then I consider, but God wants me to have a soul at rest. And as we're looking at Hebrews 4, the author of Hebrews 4 did not want the community that he's writing to to miss God's gift of actually having a soul at rest. So what does the rest in Hebrews 4 talk about? Here's these verses that we're going to... briefly look at tonight. God's promise, this is verse 1 in Hebrews chapter 4, God's promise of entering his rest, it still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them, but it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger I took an oath, they will never enter my place of rest, even though this rest has been ready since he made the world. Verse four, we know it's ready because the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day, and on the seventh day, God rested from all of his work. But in other passages, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is... Uh, so God's rest, uh, God's rest is there for people to enter, but those who first heard this good news, they failed to enter because they just disobeyed God. Verse seven, so God set another time for entering his rest, and that time, it's now, it's today. God announced this through David, King David, much later in the words already quoted. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best. I want you here to verse 11. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fail. Now, In those 11 verses, there's a lot that we could talk about as it relates to the rest that God has for us. But if you just go back later at some point tonight or tomorrow, count how many times it's talking about something that God has for us, and the something that he has for us is called rest. Here's just three very brief observations. Uh, As you read this text, you see, first of all, that this is God's rest. It's not a rest that we have to create. Rather, it's a rest that originates uh, in him, and it's for us. So you don't have to go create, find, make up this rest and try to figure this out on your own. Hebrews 4 tells us, no, this is God's rest. It originates with him, but it's for us from him. Second observation would be the rest is also something we can miss. said that a few times in the passage. There were people who went before us who completely missed it. Why? They didn't believe. They didn't believe in God. They didn't believe that in the character of God, what God had for them. And so this is something that you and I can actually miss. And that's the last verse in verse 11. They missed it. The Israelites completely missed it. And the author's saying, but I don't want you to miss it. And the third observation I give you, this rest is for today. It is for you today, it's for me today, it's for us today. It talks about a future rest that clearly is pointing to the rest that we will have with God in heaven, but the rest that God has for us is now, it is today. Twice it says, if you're hearing God speaking, this is for today. This is not like, get your life right, fix it up, and then one day, hopefully you might experience rest and say, no, right now. And so why I'm excited about this passage for us tonight, those listening tomorrow, is God says, I want you to have a soul that's at rest right now. And that's what really encourages me about this passage is you don't have to go home or think about this for the next week and be like, oh gosh, how could I have this rest? God's saying you can have it right now. So as I've sat in with Hebrews 4, what I've come to see and what I've come to realize is that when we often think of rest, at least when I do, we easily think of it in terms of a specific day. We think of rest as a specific day, a day where we we can just rest from our work, what the Bible would call a Sabbath. Now, clearly there's an aspect of that in Hebrews 4, but what I think the author is trying to communicate to this community, and remember this community that is listening to these words for the first time is a community that is coming out of law. The only thing that they knew was the law. The only way to get right with God was do this and do this and do this and do this and do this. And that leads to a life of exhaustion. And so what I think the author of Hebrews in chapter 4, what he wants, he's trying to communicate to them and to us, um, is this. Rest is not so much about hours in the day or a specific day. Rest is more about our position before God. Rest is not specifically just about Couple hours in a day, or a day in a week, the rest that we're talking about here in Hebrews 4 is more so about our position or our posture before God. Uh, Stephen Gurr is an author, pastor, theologian, and he said it well in his commentary God's rest can be properly understood as the believers, meaning the Christians. Present position of relationship with God and subsequent enjoyment of continual access to His presence and all the associated benefits thereof, such as divine protection, help, and blessing. So, the rest that He's talking about, Hebrews 4, talks about our unique relationship that you and I can have with God because of what God has done for us in the gospel, what God has done for us in Jesus. And I loved how He said, enjoyment of continual access to his presence and all the benefits that come with that. All the benefits that come with knowing God and knowing the character of God, there are benefits of that. Namely, the benefit we can be at complete rest, knowing, gosh, that God is faithful. God is good. God will provide. God will care for. God will help. So many times in scripture, God's referred to as our helper. So in other words, because of faith in Christ, we can rest easy in the presence of God, not constantly feeling as if I need to do more to get more to get right with God. That's the rest we're talking about in Hebrews 4, not this constant feeling of I have to do more, I have to work harder, I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this. The rest that we are specifically talking about is a rest that God provides for us because of his son. And because of his son and faith in his son, we can be at complete rest. The world we live in tells us accomplishment precedes acceptance and achievement precedes approval. But Jesus says, I don't believe that. You have faith in me, you can have a life. Remember, soul and life, interchangeable. You can have a soul, a life that is at rest. Uh, Before I finish, I wanted to answer what I think is a pretty huge question. If God has rest for us to enter into and enjoy, well, then how do we do that? How can we actually cultivate that every day? And not like one day a week we get to rest, but every single day that we live, everything we do is seen through the lens of I'm a soul that's at rest. Life is hard and trying, but my soul is at rest. Uh, I want to share with you very quickly just two thoughts on how you and I can cultivate a life, a soul that's at rest constantly. Not one day a week, but seven days a week, 24 hours a day. Number one, I'm just going to give you two. Number one would be this. Rest comes through trusting his character. Rest comes through trusting his character. Again, let me read just two verses in Hebrews. Chapter one, verse 1 and 2. God's promise of entering his rest, it still stands. That's something you and I have to trust. That's something that you and I have to believe, that when God says his promise of entering his rest still stands, we need to say, well, I trust that. I believe that. It still stands. It's for me right now. It's for me today. It's not for me to attain one day or to work towards God's promise of entering his rest. It still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared, this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listen to God for only we who believe can enter his rest. And it's this picture of people who went before us, they failed to trust in the character of God. And because they failed to trust into the character of God, they failed to experience the promise of God, which is just simply his rest. So what God's promised to those who would just believe him and who he is and what he's done, trust in him and him alone, is just rest. One of the questions um, uh, that I often ask myself, uh, that when I'm feeling at unrest, when I'm just feeling, and I'm using words like tired and exhausted and annoyed and frustrated and all these things, uh, unrest, when I feel that, the question that I ask myself is, is, is there some area of my life right now where I'm not trusting in the character of God that's leading me to experience the unrest that I'm experiencing? And so that's a great question for us to wrestle with. Is there an area in your life right now that you say, you know what? I feel like I'm trusting God with this and this and this, but then there's this, and I can't trust God with that. Actually, I'm still trying to control this situation, because it's, it's a personal situation might be something with a family. It might be something with a relationship. It might be something with your future. It might be with work or money. But we can divide our lives, right? We can say, well, I'm going to trust God here and here and here. But gosh, this, I can't, I can't let go of this. And when I say let go of it, I mean like worry about it. We're, every time we worry, we're communicating to God, I'm just not trusting you with this. And so is there an area where we're not trusting in the character of God, the promises of God, And wherever that area will be is going to cause unrest. And by the way, that one area, whether big or small, is not going to cause unrest in just that little piece of your life. It's going to cause unrest in the totality of your life. And so for me, when I'm battling unrest of my soul, I just ask that question to myself Is there an area in my life that I'm failing to trust in the character of God? And I identify that and I say, Lord, I want to trust anew, afresh, in the promises of who you are and what you've done. And God refreshes my soul and gives me rest. So that would be number one. Rest comes through trusting his character and his character alone. Uh, Number two, I'll finish with this. Rest comes through listening to and obeying his voice. Rest comes through listening to and obeying his voice. Hebrews 6 and verse 7 so God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this, good news, well, they failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time uh, for entering his rest, and that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted today. When you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. So again, one more time, verse, uh, the second thing, rest comes through listening to and obeying his voice quoted two different times of they heard his voice, they hardened their hearts, and they didn't listen. And consequently, they didn't experience rest. They experienced continued unrest. Uh, now, I'm gonna guess that some of the kids in here uh, are gonna be familiar with this, but how many of you seen the movie Horton Hears a Who? Okay, if you haven't, go rent it tonight. Watch it tomorrow during the blizzard. Horton Hears a Who is a story of an elephant with just a ginormous heart. A ginormous heart uh, coupled with ears that can hear what no one else can possibly hear. And what Horton hears is these little tiny who's calling out to him, asking for help. But the problem was no one else in Horton's world could actually hear what Horton heard. And rather than Horton saying, well, I guess it's not, I guess it's not, it's not real, it's not happening, Horton said, I'm absolutely convinced that I'm hearing someone call to me asking for help. And this ginormous elephant with a ginormous heart, his whole life became about listening to the voice that he heard. It drove everything that he did. Now, I realize that might be a little silly of a parallel, but we don't have a tiny who's who is calling to us or talking to us. Rather, we actually have the God of the universe who is speaking. The God of the universe is not just quietly whispering to you, the God of the universe has been generous to actually speak to each of us. And so it is the challenge when God speaks, are we doing what God is saying for us to do? And when we're not, scripture says in Hebrews 4, there just won't be rest. How could there be rest in our soul in our life if God is saying, "I want you to do this. I want you to be here. I want you to trust me with this." But then we're like, "I can't do that." Well, how could we possibly experience the rest that God has for us when he's speaking to us. If you're familiar with the movie, Horton is great. He's just this joyful, clumsy, just such a lovable elephant that even though everyone is coming after him saying, you're crazy, you're nuts, this is insane, he's laughing and smiling and dancing through the whole film because he knows the voice that he heard. And he has rest. And so for me, when I have unrest in my life, I asked myself the second question, Michael, is there something that God is talking to you about that you're not paying attention to? Is your heart being hardened to the voice of God? And if it is, and you're not listening to the voice of God, then you're gonna experience unrest. And again, the question was just, how do we cultivate the rest that God has for us? And the second way is, we just listen to the voice of God in our life. And when we obey and respond and do the voice of God in our life, then we experience the rest that comes with that. Again, I'm not saying easy life, but I am saying even if it's storm and hard and just, it's, it's, it's tough, God says, I have rest for you as you listen to the voice that's speaking to you, calling out to you. And so that would be a question for us to consider as we close. Is there something that God is saying to you Now? or has been saying to you for a really long time that you're just refusing to listen to? And very similar to how we can trust God with this part of my life and this part of my life, but he can't have this because it's just too hard, it's too personal, it's too real. Is there an area where like, I'm listening over here, I'm listening to what he's saying over here, but I'm just, I can't do what he's telling me to do. It would be too hard. I, I can't, I know what he's telling me, I know what he's talking to me about, but it would just be, too much of an inconvenience. It would cost me too much. It would be too much of a sacrifice. When we listen to the voice of God, the promise of God to you and to I is simply that we would have rest. Um, tonight, as we close, uh, I'm gonna pray and just invite those here tonight, those watching tomorrow, to spend a few moments praying. We're gonna worship through song, uh, but I wanted to invite you specifically to, uh, to, to, to with this invitation, and this is in Jeremiah chapter 6, uh, verse 16, and this is, uh, I don't know, I just felt compelled to share this verse with you and those listening tomorrow, uh, a really challenging and powerful invitation. This is what the Lord says. Again, we're talking about the voice of God speaking. This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path, and you will find rest for your soul. I love the invitation. Would you just stop where you are? All the craziness, and the busyness, and the madness that often describes our life. Just stop where you are right now, and just look around, and ask for the old, the godly way, and make the decision to say, I'm going to walk that road. I'm going to walk that path, travel its path, and I love the promise, and you will find rest for your souls. What an incredible promise. And so I wanted to leave you with that invitation uh, tonight and to those listening tomorrow. As we travel the path, the godly way we walk in it, the promise that you and I have from God is that we would find rest for our souls. So I want to invite us tonight and those tomorrow, stop right now. Consider where you are. Consider, is there areas where I'm not trusting the character of God? Is there areas I'm not listening to the voice of God? Just stop where you are, consider these things, and let's make a decision. I'm gonna travel that path, the godly path. I'm gonna walk in that and experience the rest that God has for me. Now, I didn't read the rest of chapter, uh, chapter six, verse 16, but the people who heard this promise first this was the response. But you reply, no, that's not the road we want. That's really hard. Uh, The first part is like, just consider the path that God has for you. As you walk in it, you will experience the rest that God has for your soul, for your life. But the people said, no, we consider that. We don't want that path. And what they did is they forfeited the rest that God had for them. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for anyone who would listen to this. The Promise that God has for you is rest. He cares about your soul and He wants you to have a soul that's at rest. So, Father God, thank you for an opportunity to walk through a phenomenal passage in Hebrews chapter 4. God, I give thanks that you are good and your character, who you are, and all that you have done. God, we can say with confidence that we can trust you. God, I give thanks that the God of the universe has chosen to allow us to hear his voice, who we are, and about you, who you are, what you've done. Your voice speaks to us about who we are and where we are and where you want us to go. And as we walk in that, Father, give thanks for the incredible gift that you give to us in just rest. God, I give thanks for the invitation in Jeremiah. I pray that we could do that in these moments right now. We could just stop. We can consider where we are. We could consider where our soul is tonight. For those listening tomorrow. God, we could look at the crossroads of where we are and consider the path, the godly way that you have for us. And God, I pray that there would be decisions made today, tomorrow, that would say, I'm going to walk in that. I'm going to travel in that path, trusting the character of God and listening to the voice of God. And God, I give thanks for the gift that accompanies of just a soul at rest. God, I pray that there would not be any one of us tonight, tomorrow, that would hear this invitation from you that would say, no, I don't want that path. So God, please open our hearts to to trust you and to listen to you. God, I give thanks that uh, tonight we can be encouraged and reminded and inspired that you have made a way for us to walk with you and to know you through your son, a savior that you sent, so that we didn't have to work our way, exhausting ourselves towards you. But God, we could show up at heaven's gate, souls at rest, because of what you've done for us with your son.